uh, pull out your, uh, your outline inside. It says, hashtag Hope Easter. Yeah, the first service, it was like I had to practice over and over and over to get it in, and I made it by 32 seconds. <laughs> so that was good. So, oh well, I amused myself. Thank you. Oh, yo, yo. You guys ready? Here we go. Hey, um, when you think about hope and you think about your own life, um, it's said that you could live a couple weeks without food, maybe some of us a little longer. <sighs> so, uh, a few days without water, and a few maybe seconds or minutes without air, but the reality is, is you can't live without hope in your soul. When you think about hope, hope is the greatest thing that leaders can give to their people, parents can give to their children, teachers, if you're a teacher, that you can give to your students, coaches, if you're a coach here, the greatest gift that you can give your athletes is hope, the greatest thing that you can give your family is hope, the greatest thing that you can give your friends is hope, the greatest thing you can give your neighborhood and your neighbors is hope, the greatest thing that you can give your co-workers is hope. The greatest thing that we can have is hope in our life. And you say, well, Dan, you know, wh- wh- why, why is that? Wh- what's, what's so important about it? Well, when you think about the world in which we live in, I don't know if you pay any attention to, to life, but the world that we live in is broken. Would you agree with that? All right. So sometime in July, we'll be drinking sand. Right? If you haven't paid attention the economy doesn't always work as planned. Would you agree with that? Okay. <clears throat> Kids, when you raise them, they don't always go the way they're supposed to go. Anyhow, amens to that. Right? <clears throat> the reality is that we live on a broken planet and we are broken people. And that's just the way it is. And so we desperately need hope in our life. Now, there's kind of a misunderstanding about what hope is. And in your outline, you have at the very top of it, I have the definition. Hope is not optimism. A lot of times people will say, hope is optimism. So we might say, hey, I hope my sports team wins, right? Or I hope the dinner isn't burnt, you know, those kinds of things. And that's just kind of optimism. That's based on you, you know, that's based on your team, Uh, getting the right people to to become great. So optimism, in your outline, is psychological. Optimism is personal trust in you. Optimism often denies reality. And it kind of pushes it aside and you just have these positive thoughts and you hope that that's going to uh, change things. Optimism is what you think you can do. It's positive thinking, not permanent trust. The hope that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks is this hope is theological. It's based on something other than optimistic thinking or what you think that you can do. Hope is personally trusting in God. Hope is believing or thinking what is possible with God. That's what hope is that we're going to be talking about today. And that's why this world your family, neighborhood, work environment, every area that you come in contact with desperately needs hope. Not optimistic thinking, but hope that's built around 
the foundation of Christianity. And you look at it with me in your outline. In 1 Peter chapter, two, uh, 20, uh, 1, Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he, here's what it says. And this will be a verse that we'll use through the series that we'll be going through starting today. And here's what Peter writes. He says, through him, who's the him? Jesus. Through him you believe in God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So it's not in optimistic thinking, it's not positive thinking, but our hope is built on the resurrection of Christ. It is theological. Okay, And so when we talk about hope over the next several weeks, again, we're not just talking about, hey, think good thoughts, good things will come your way. That, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about something based on the resurrection of Christ. That our life is based and our hope and our faith is, tr- is placed in the resurrection of Christ in our life. And so today as we kind of pivot and we look at the Easter story and the account of Uh, the resurrection of Christ. I want to give you a little background, and then we're going to look at two main players in the resurrection account. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene, and we're going to look at Thomas the Doubter, all right? And so if you will, uh, just kind of help me uh, set the context for the resurrection. So Jesus died on the cross. He rose again, right? We all got that part down. And after his resurrection, what a lot of people kind of miss is that Jesus hung out in Jerusalem for about six weeks. And during that time, he met with individuals, he let, met with groups of people. In one case, he met with 500 people. And, and so he hangs out, and the disciples, and we're going to look at it here in a moment, Mary Magdalene, they have these interchanges with the risen Lord. He's, he's risen, he's alive, he's walking around, and he's meeting with them. Well, the first person that comes into the account that we're going to look at today is, is Mary Magdalene. She, now, she's kind of an interesting person when you think of Mary. Um, Mary was demon-possessed before she came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. In fact, in, in your outline there, in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, Mary called Magdalene, and that's where, where she was from, whom, uh, from whom seven demons came out of her. And so, before she met Christ, she was demon-possessed. We also know from history, from the Jewish uh, tradition, is that she came from an area that had a high number of prostitutes. So it was kind of the red light district. And so many people actually believe that Mary was the one that brought the jar, broke the oil, and placed it on the feet of Jesus. Uh, that, that many of the, uh, of the Hebrew writers believe that that's actually Mary. And so we're not sure if it is or not, but one thing that we are sure is that she was demon-possessed. Now, we know from other accounts in Scripture that when a person was demon-possessed, they were sometimes a slave to someone else, and so they were kind of like a sideshow, and the person would make money off of them and do certain things. And so they lived a life that was filled with abuse. Uh, They were used. They were misused. And so Mary comes along and she meets Jesus. And Jesus shows her love and respect. He casts out the demons and he sets her free and he liberates her. And in the life of Mary, she got to watch the majority of the events that took place in the arrest, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ. In fact, when the disciples went to the tomb... After the resurrection, there was no body of Jesus. They all packed up and left. And it was Mary who hung out 
at the tomb. And in that time that she hangs out, she has an encounter with an angel, and then eventually she has an encounter with Christ. And, and we find in her words how she is really filled with hopelessness in her life. And so number one in your outline, if you'll fill in the blanks here with me, number one is Mary felt hopeless because she thought that it was too late. And we'll see as she speaks to the angel and she speaks to Jesus not recognizing who he is. That she says that, okay? So just, just kind of back up a step and let me say this. That when Jesus was crucified and he was going to be buried, they would bury them not like we do today in the ground, but they would bury him in the side of a wall. Like a, a limestone wall would be cut out and they would place the body in there. But because Jesus at the time of his death and because of the law of the Jewish folks, um, they had to kind of rush through the burial. And so he really wasn't buried properly. They put oil and uh, cloth around him, and they would wrap him up, and then they would place him in, uh, in the tomb. Well, Mary kind of watches the guys do it, and they don't do a good job. And so she's going to come back, and she's going to follow up. She's going to give Jesus a proper burial. And so uh, Sunday rolls around, first thing in the morning on Resurrection Day, she gets up because the law, the, the Sabbath is over. She gets up and she heads to the tomb. And as she does, and the disciples are there as well, the nobody, they all pack up and leave. She remains there. And so here we are. John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we're going to be starting in verse 10. The scriptures will be on uh, the screen behind me. And here's what it says. When the disciples went back to their homes, so Jesus' body isn't there, they pack up and they leave. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying as, she, uh, uh, crying as she wept. She bent over and she looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seating, uh, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other one at the feet. Verse 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? So the angels asked, uh, asked Mary, why are you crying? And here's her statement of hopelessness in her life. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they had put him. She wasn't expecting a risen Christ. Even though she heard the stories, even though Jesus told the disciples, hey, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise on the third day, they don't get it. She doesn't get it. And she just wants to know, where is this guy who liberated me from the demons, who set me free, who showed me love, where is he? Where is his body? And so she asked the, uh, the, uh, the angels, where, where, where did you put him? Verse 14, at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? And Jesus is going to ask her two questions. Why are you crying and who are you looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. They're not expecting, a she's not expecting a risen Lord, is she? She's filled with hopelessness. She thinks it's over. She thinks it's too late. Jesus is dead. He was going to be the Messiah. He was going to carry in and become the political leader. And even though he said, hey, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be risen on the third day. She doesn't get it. They don't get it. And she's just looking for a body to give him a proper burial because she loves and respects this guy. And so, <clears throat> verse 16, Jesus says to her, one word, Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, 
For I have yet not returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers, to the disciples, and tell them that I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord risen. What's, what's interesting about Mary and her life, as she goes there and she expects to find a body, he's not there, she's disturbed, she's discouraged, he set her free, he liberated her from life, he's given her life, he loved her unconditionally, and her heart is crushed. Her heart is crushed. And she goes there and she says, as a statement of hopelessness in her life, she says, where have you put him? I, 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 just, I just want him back. I just want him back. You know, oftentimes when people are murdered, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll hear stories and people, families will just want closure. They just want, the, they want to find the body and they want to give it a proper burial and they want closure. And this is where she's at. She thinks, she thinks it's over. Her hope is is completely gone. She's not standing there thinking, he's risen, he has risen indeed. And in one word, he says to her, Mary. And in that one word, she goes from hopelessness to a person filled with hope. And what's interesting about worshiping a living Lord is as we sit here today, we don't worship a dead God. We don't worship a dead God. We worship a risen Lord. And just as the risen Lord understood Mary's heart and understood her problems and her uh, turmoil that she was going through, you know what? God knows exactly what you're going through in your life. Whether you're on a mountaintop and Friday you got a promotion and a raise or they handed you a pink slip and you lost your job. Whether your marriage is going great, it's incredible, or it's in the tank, Jesus knows exactly where you're at. Because we worship a risen Lord. And that's why we have such great hope in our life. That it's not optimism. Oh, I hope my marriage turns around. That doesn't work. But that we worship a risen Lord. And our faith and our hope is placed in Him. And in one word, He turns Mary around. And she goes from a person who is filled with sadness and sorrow to a person that's absolutely filled with hope in their life. And as we sit here today, that's the same thing for us. That Jesus knows exactly where you're at. And it's interesting because he asks her two questions. Why are you crying? Well, it's simple why she's, she, he, she's crying. Because Jesus liberated her. He loved her. He loved her unconditionally. They just beat him, killed him, and threw him in a hole. And now he's gone. No wonder she's crying. But he also asked her another question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? And I think that's an appropriate question to ask ourselves. What are you looking for in life? Because see, here's what I know. That when we put our hope in something outside of Christ, it will always lead us to disappointment. Because the circumstances change, the situation change, people change, but Jesus never changes. He never changes. And so he asked her, Mary, what are you looking for? And if you're here today, just, just as kind of a side note, and you're looking for hope in something other than Christ, it will always lead you to disappointment in your life. Sure, you may feel it for a little bit, but as time goes on, it will be completely gone. Here's the lesson in Mary's life in your outline. It's never too late 
for a miracle. Isn't that good news? Even in Mary's case, even when Jesus, when she thought it was, he was dead, it's never too late for a miracle in Christ. And when you look at your life, maybe it's a health or relationship or situation that you're in, even though it looks dead, there's still time for a miracle. That the Lord who was risen to life is a God of, of miracles. Do you believe that? I certainly do that. I look at in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Isn't that great news? Well, there's another person in the resurrection account, and that is Thomas, right? And what is Thomas known for? Doubting. And I, I was laughing in the, in the second service. You know, just think, he's, he's up in heaven, and I'm sure we're not going to do this, but I may when I get there. But imagine, for 2,000 years, what are you known for? Doubting, right? It's like, it's like I'm going to go to Eve and go, what were you thinking, right? That's the one thing I'm going to say. Then I'm going to find Thomas, and I'm going to go, are you kidding me? You hung out with that dude for three and a half years, and you're like, show me the proof, man. Show me the proof, right? So, so in heaven, I'm going to have a little fun. So you, if you, you may not get it. When you get home today after you eat like the fourth hard-boiled egg, you'll get it, all right? You'll go, that guy's funny, right? I'm so glad I came to the extended service and not the short one. Because the first service, I sounded like the guy doing the FedEx commercial or whatever it is. Like, and we're happy that Jesus rose from the dead. And he, <laughs> it's like, just breathe, man. Relax a little bit. All right. Again, I'm just amusing myself, so... Thanks for hanging out and watching. <laughs> so here, here's Thomas, number two in your ant life. Thomas felt hopeless because of doubt and fear. Thomas felt hopeless because of doubt and fear. What's interesting about this is the disciples, after the resurrection, they pack up, they go to, they go to the house, right? Thomas isn't there. We're not sure where he's at. But he's not there, and in verse 19, we pick up the story. So on the evening of the first day of the week, <clears throat> when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now, let me just kind of take a side note on this. That fear and doubt leads to putting yourself in a prison, a self-imposed prison. When you are hopeless and you think it's over, you put yourself in a prison and you shut the door, and you remain there, okay? So they're fearful of the Jews, because they think if they kill Jesus, they're going to kill us, but also that the Messiah that they put all their trust in is dead. In fact, his body isn't even around. And so they still don't even get the resurrection, even at this point. So Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So this is Easter evening. He says, peace be with you, verse 20. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Remember, that's where he got stuck with the spear. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 24, skipping down. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So he's off by himself. He's somewhere else. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And he's like, I knew it. No, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger uh, where the nails were and put my hand into his sides, I will not believe. 
Not that he can't believe, but at this moment in his life, he chooses not to believe. He wants proof. He wants to see the evidence. He wants to see the hands and the side of Christ. Now, here's what we know about humanity in your outline. Doubts and fears will always lead you to a sense of hopelessness in your life. That when your life is filled with doubt and fear, the next progression is that you begin to lose hope in your life. You do not see what God can do. You see what you can do. And it doesn't look good. It doesn't look like that you're able to turn things around. And when you are hopeless, here's what happens. And this is humanity. Okay, This is all of us. Here's what happens. There are five things that are common for all of us when we feel an enormous amount of hopelessness in our life. And here is what's so cool about Christ. He performed miracles. He performed lots of miracles. But some of the miracles were specifically to speak into the life of a person or peoples who were hopeless. And so he performs miracles to speak into what the natural response of a person who's filled with hopelessness in their life. So let's take a look in your outline. When you experience delays and you're filled with hopelessness and you can't see clearly life, you don't know where the next job's coming, you don't know where you're going to live, you don't know what's going to happen in the relationship, you're not sure. Here's what the natural response of a person who is filled with hopelessness in their life, they will run from responsibility. They pack up and they split because they can't see. They don't know the next step. They don't know what to do. There's no hope. Their hope is in optimism. It's not there. They split. Number two, when they feel like they're losing or that their life is sinking, they give up too soon. I quit. I'm done. I can't keep going on. I can't stay in this relationship. I can't keep battling. I'm finished. It's over with. Number three, when you experience difficulties and hardships in your life and you're filled with hopelessness, you tend to blame other people for your problems. It's their fault. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Number four, when you look at life through the lens of hopelessness, you tend to lose perspective. When life is kind of you know, when it seems hopeless, you don't see the big picture. You don't see the activity of God. All you see is your little box in which you're looking through. And then number five, when you're filled with hopelessness, you make unhealthy decisions. Would you agree with that? This compounds your problems and drives you deeper into hopelessness. Right? Because there's no hope. And you think, well, I'm going to just have positive thoughts, positive thoughts, positive thoughts. That doesn't work. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next five weeks, we're going to take each of those five areas and look at a miracle that Christ did. Now, when Jesus, when Jesus did, would do miracles, it wasn't so that everyone would go, wow, that's cool. He would do miracles to prove that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, 
but it was even taking it a step higher. He wanted to increase or he wanted to build the faith of those who watched it or heard about it. And he recognized that when your faith was raised, it would increase the hope that you have in your life. And so he didn't do miracles just to do miracles. It wasn't like Jesus just said, hey, you know what? Let's do this water to wine thing. That's a pretty cool thing. You guys ready? But he was at a wedding. They ran out of wine, right? He was asked to turn the water into wine. But it wasn't just so that they all had wine to drink. He did it because in that miracle, there was a lesson. He wanted to, in, he wanted to build their faith that increased their hope. But there was a lesson in there that Jesus was the answer to man's disappointments in life. And there was this hidden lesson in there that he wanted to reveal. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to take each of those five areas, and there's dates on there of when the messages are. And we're going to look at miracles because I think it's so important. And in the world that we live in and the things that are taking place in our world, we desperately need hope. Not, not just good thoughts, boy, I wish everyone would live at peace with each other. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? But we need some hope built on some theology. That's what we need to hold on to. Because my hunch is, I don't know, I may be wrong, I don't think things are going to get better. I think things may get worse for a while. We need hope to hang on to. So here's what we know. You got that miracles that... Or build your faith. You got that down? <laughs> when you finish the test, look up and put your number two pencil on the right-hand corner of the desk. All right? And we will not allow any hanging chads on our test cards. Here's, the, here's what happens in your life when you, when you have hope in it. Take a look with me in your outline. Hope creates... Here's what it does. You will be more satisfied in relationships. You'll be more productive. You'll be less affected by stress. Any hallelujahs there. You'll be more successful. You'll feel more satisfied. You'll be more compassionate. You'll be willing to help people who are in need. You'll be physically healthy. Amen. Right? You will hold higher moral and ethical standards. Just pause. You want to know why? Because you believe that God is able. When you're desperate, desperate people do desperate things in desperate times. Right? And all of a sudden where you say, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and put this through anyway because, man, I need to close this deal. Right? And your morals and your ethics pushed aside because you've lost hope. You don't believe that God can. You're looking at what you can. Right? That's a good point right there. <laughs> that point almost preaches, right? You'll find more, <laughs> you'll be more likely to assume leadership, and then you'll take over my job. <clears throat> and you'll be more likely to see God as loving, caring, and forgiving. Now you know why Jesus committed, did miracles? Because <laughs> we need faith. And we need to increase our hope because the world desperately needs people who have those characteristics in our life.
And you need to go into your neighborhoods and your schools and your work environments with that kind of hope because hope liberates, hope unleashes compassion, it encourages people, it motivates us and you, it makes you attempt new things, it find, you find more strength, and it propels you to do what's impossible because you believe that God can. Right? Here's a life lesson. <laughs> that when you look at people who are hopeless, hopeless always leads, or not always, the majority of the time leads to destruction. You, you, you won't find a person who's made decisions that have destroyed their life without them being filled with hopelessness first. Got that? So for instance, I've never met a person who's come to me and said, hey, pastor, can we meet? I'm like, yeah, let's get together. And they sit in, they sit in the conference room and they're like, let me just tell you, my marriage is so good, man. I, I am so fortunate. I got the best spouse in the whole wide world. It is so encouraging and so great. I'm going to divorce her. Have you? But I have talked to people who said, I'm done. Why are you done? Man, there is no way that this thing's going to turn around. I fought. I'm like, I banged my head against the wall. I'm tired of banging my head against the wall. I give up. I'm finished. Because hopelessness, the majority of the time, leads to destruction. I've never met a person who's tried to harm themselves that has ever said to me, you know what, I'm just so content with life. I, it is, I'm just like at perfect peace with God and with man. So I tried to hurt myself. Never. But I have talked to people who have. Like, why, what were you thinking? I lost hope, man. I was tired of living. I couldn't deal with it anymore. It just, uh, it, every day I woke up, it just felt like it wasn't going to get any better. Because hopelessness typically leads to destruction. And Jesus recognizes that. And he wants to give us hope, not based on optimism, but based on a theological truth that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he is alive. And that we don't look at our life through what we can do, but we look at life through what he can do, what God can do. Verse 26. A week later, this is Thomas now, a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the, door was uh, the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood beside them. I always thought that'd be kind of a fun thing to do, right? Thomas is kind of chatting and all of a sudden, hey, what up, fellas, right? Yikes, how'd you get in here? So he stood amongst them and he said, peace be with you, verse 27. And then he said to Thomas, how could you possibly not believe for three and a half years you followed me around? You say that? No sermon, just a statement. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hands. Put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Here's the proof. Here's the proof. And here's my prayer for every one of us. Verse 28. 
And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. My prayer is that every person who came into this building this Easter day would recognize that Jesus is Lord and God. But they would recognize them as their Lord and their God. He says, my God, right? My Lord and my God. Now, there are three things that I want to end. Let me give you the, the point here. It's never too late to start believing. Mary experienced was it was never too late for a miracle. Thomas experienced that it's never too late to start believing. And let me give you a couple ideas here. And we're going to start with number two. Here's the next steps for some of you. Number two, that you would com commit to coming back next week. Okay? As we look at the series and we begin to go forward in the series over the next five weeks, we're going to take each of the miracles and we're going to break them down and we're going to apply them into our life and we're going to learn to see what the miracles. The, the choir's leaving. Let's just all watch them. Okay? Here we go. We got the angel in the front with the white suit on. <laughs> all right. Are we done? <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah. Okay. You guys finished? You guys are awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so that you come back next week, right, as we, start, as we continue the series on Hashtag Hope. Number three in your outline there is that you'll commit to a community group. Now, here's kind of the neat thing that we're going to do in this series uh, that's a little bit different. Um, if of those of you who are not in a community group, on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, I'm going to lead a group. It's probably going to be a large group based on the response we got in the first two services. But on Sunday afternoon, starting next week, 4 o'clock, we're going to take the message that I speak on Sunday, and then we're going to kind of take it farther into our life as a community group. So if you're not in a community group, I want to encourage you to come on out and be a part of one. On the back of the communication card, there's a box there. It says hashtag community group. And you can write, if you have child care, you need child care, whatever it is, make sure you let us know so that we have enough material and enough tables set out here. And then number one, and here's the most important one, so let me have all your attention. Ready? That all of us would be committed to Christ. That Jesus would be both Lord and God of our life. And so I want to give you that opportunity to do that before we wrap up today. And I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we do a little A, 